We flip the switch and let her rip on another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How we all doing? We've got, uh, seems like we are constantly having people in the rotating sports chair. Yeah, what's that all about? So here we have Scott Foster in today. I'm just hoping that there's uh, not failure to launch. We do have a theory about why. We do. And that, that is that Wimbledon is in order and there are way too many hard to pronounce names. Yep. Jason was out the door as soon as we got to the second round of Wimbledon. That's how it works. Yep. Well, let's move on over. Let's hope that Jesse doesn't have a lot of hard-to-pronounce names over here with Ag News. Not today. Good. There's some days. Good. Especially with extension and research. Yeah. It mm. can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it can. Not today, though, but coming out yesterday, EPA released their proposed renewable volume obligations under the RFS for 2018. So for the 12-13, we'll get an update about what was in Included for ethanol for 1219. Dewey Nelson's going to be joined with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions discussing the markets and what currently is going on at that time. And then for the newsmaker, I'm with Ann Steckel, Vice President of Federal Affairs with the National Biodiesel Board, and we're discussing those RVOs when it comes to biodiesel and what was looked at there. Also, the National Biodiesel Board is currently in a trade dispute with Argentina. Mm-hmm. And Indonesia, yes, uh, about imports of biodiesel. So we'll also talk about that at that time as well. And then for the 117, Bruce Gorder is with Jerry Catlett. He is a senior vice president and CFO of the Bruning State Bank and past president of the Nebraska Bankers Association. Very good. Thank you very much, Jess. We'll look forward to all of that. And what is shaken at Wimbledon? Well, you know, the the regular guys are kind of winning. They're doing okay. David Ferrer won. Rafi uh who is continuing to go, but there's some question as how he's been feeling. Andy Murray... Rafael Nadal. Nadal, thank you. And uh, Andy Murray has actually uh, been playing very well. The interesting thing has sort of been the sideline. We have this guy by the name of Bernard Tomic of Australia who was fined because he said he was just a little bored out there. He was... (laughs) Making fun just was yeah fifteen thousand dollars well, they find him for being bored. It's that English thing. It does so strange. It's, I guess yes. they, don't, they don't want you bored. But anyway, ta- the uh, All Star Game is coming up also very soon here next Tuesday. So uh, we'll start to see that coming up in baseball. And I know that you've also been you've been asking around some of our mm-hmm. tennis experts around here yes. about pronunciations on some of these. Right, names. and you want to make sure you don't get it wrong. Right. Well, which. W-A-N-G, by the way, Wong. Is Wong. Not Wang, Wong. Write that down in the dust on your dashboard there so that you always know. (laughs) I usually turn to Bob Rogan when I have trouble with uh, Chinese names because he's on it. It's not Dang. I mean Wang. No, it's Wong. Well, Dang. You're Wong if you say Wang. It's just Wong. Well, okay. It's just Wong. And there's yin and yang, too. (laughs) Tell us what's happening in business, sir. I don't know if I can, but I'll try. (laughs) U.S. stocks are falling. And also, U.S. weekly request for jobless aid rises to a still low, 248,000. And a survey shows U.S. companies have added a modest 158,000 jobs in June. And uh, that's about what we're following right now. Okay. Thank you very much, Bob. It's all coming up for you today on Midday. 
You know, Paul Perkins, they say variety is the spice of life. <laughs> I've never heard a meteorological <laughs> definition for that. Can you give us that? Yes, uh, Shadron gets that crown right now. They're kind of the all-weather capital of Nebraska in the last 24 hours. They had the state high yesterday, along with Valentine at 103. Shadron also had the state low this morning of 52. <laughs> I don't know how you keep your sidewalks from cracking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're doing that. This uh, ag weather, by the way, folks, brought to you by Coolman Repair. Yeah, that drier air in the panhandle helping with the lack of a need for air conditioning. So, it really helps to cool things off at night. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's nice because we're going to get uh, going to see a lot of the state getting up toward 100 today. Yeah, a lot of places in the west and central approaching or eclipsing that 100-degree mark for this afternoon. Today going to be one of our hottest days of the summer so far. We'll be in advance of a cold front that's dropping to the south. Already we're seeing temperatures in many locations in the upper 80s to low 90s. And closer to where that front is approaching, Thedford right now at 95 already, and it's just 1130 here. The scattered thunderstorm chance will be possible along and behind this front late today and tonight. There is a small risk of a few of those being severe, but not expecting a big outbreak of severe weather. Just a marginal risk right now, some severe weather, as opposed to the slight risk that we usually see when they have the better outbreak chances of severe weather. But just a few thunderstorms could be severe today if they do pop up. That heat and humidity, the main story today, making it feel as warm as the low 100s. Make sure you drink plenty of water and get frequent breaks in the shade. Temperatures will be cooler tomorrow behind this front. An easterly upslope flow probably adding to the humidity tomorrow, but it will also help to enhance some thunderstorm chances late in the day in the west. Then those thunderstorms will start to track to the east. Strong or severe storms will be possible if they can hold it together as we head towards tomorrow night. A few more thunderstorms are possible for Saturday and Saturday night as we remain on the eastern edge of that high-pressure ridge. But that starts to change for Sunday and early next week. That ridge moving overhead for Sunday and early next week for a return to hot and mainly dry weather thunderstorm chances will be mostly capped with that warmer air in the upper levels in our long-term forecast that ridge of high pressure also remaining locked in place over the northern plains it's going to keep the western two-thirds of the u.s including nebraska and kansas warmer than normal tuesday through july 19th in central nebraska that mid to late part of july the warmest time of year when we see those daytime average highs average in the upper 80s and overnight lows average in the low 60s so you can probably figure on average being warmer than that the central part of the u.s including nebraska and kansas also forecast to be drier than normal Tuesday through the 19th. The latest regional drought monitor is out. It was released today. Abnormal dryness now found in central and west central Nebraska. Moderate drought is now covering northeast Nebraska. I know I talked to some relatives up that way, and they've only seen about 30 hundredths of rain in the last six weeks. In Kansas, it's abnormally dry from about Atwood to Norton, and also from Smith Center to Osborne, eastward to Washington and Manhattan and also in the extreme southwest part of Kansas. Weather factors in the market today include a forecast change for more rain in the Midwest and continued dryness in the northern plains. Active weather will continue for the remainder of the week across the eastern one-third of the country. Only spotty thunderstorms expected to affect the northern plains. Rain chances the next 10 days remain limited for the northern plains. Crop stress will greatly increase, especially in Montana and the western Dakotas. Topsoil moisture right now rated at least one-half very short to short. 
in Montana, the Dakotas, and here in Nebraska. 51% of Nebraska's topsoil now rated very short to short. It's as high as 80% very short to short on topsoil moisture in Montana. There's a higher chance for rain the next 7 to 10 days in the Midwest. Central Iowa eastward have the best chances. Seasonal to below normal temperatures will favor the crops, especially the corn during pollination. The southern plains will be somewhat hotter and drier going forward after recent patterns that were favorable for corn and sorghum. Dryness and hot weather in the Canadian prairies the next week to 10 days will continue to focus on central and southwest Saskatchewan. Rainfall still needed in north-central Ukraine, where there's only been about 50% of their normal rainfall. All right. And our uh, ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair today. Looks like uh, we are settling into that hot, dry summer pattern, aren't we? Yeah, it always kind of is a typical thing in the month of July, and we're probably going to get a good taste of it over the next week or two. All right, so squeeze every bit of precipitation out of these clouds that we can. And your irrigation pumps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, when you need weather, anytime. KRBN.com. Agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. The EPA on Wednesday proposed that under the renewable fuel standard, 15 billion gallons of conventional biofuels will be required for 2018. Bruce Gorder has more on this story. Todd Sneller is the administrator of the Nebraska Ethanol Board. He says this proposed number will give the ethanol industry the confidence to move forward. Well, it's good to see the EPA strike the right number. This is, of course, a number that was established by Congress in 2007 for conventional biofuels, and it's a number that's allowed the industry to grow in an orderly fashion. So it's really important from a demand standpoint that the EPA stand behind the numbers that Congress intended, and certainly the 15 billion gallon number for conventional biofuels is going to be very important as a driver for not only domestic fuel production, but very important signal to the ag community that we can continue to find out outlets for ag supplies and especially the corn crop that we see growing today being uh, able to find a, a domestic market for a portion of that crop. Following a public comment period, the EPA will release the final rule in the fall. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Ambassador Darcy Vetter, who is a native Nebraskan and former chief agricultural negotiator at the office of the U.S. Trade Representative, has been named diplomat in residence at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. In her new role, Vetter will work with leadership from the university's College of Law, College of Business, and Institute of Agriculture Natural Resources to launch the Clayton K. Yider Institute of International Trade and Finance. IANR Herlin Vice Chancellor Mike Bame says in I quote, the vision of the Yider Institute is to educate people on international markets and trade, a space where Nebraska is a major player due to its agricultural contributions. Darcy Vetter is one of the world's foremost experts in trade, and we look forward to her visionary input in facilitating conversations surrounding economic viability related to international trade in the role that Nebraska plays, end of quote. Darcy Vetter says, and I quote, Clayton Yider's work formed the foundation that guides the way we negotiate in a global marketplace. The Yider Institute provides a tremendous opportunity to shape the next generation of leaders in international trade and global finance. And I look forward to using the lessons I learned from Clayton to help launch it, end of quote. And dry conditions persist over much of North Dakota last week, especially in the western and southern parts. Susan Littlefield has more. Now, there were some reports, too, of producers in the western part of the state baling wheat 
because of drought conditions. As the dryness continues, Ag Commissioner Doug Gehring is asking for help for his state and producers. They've established a drought hotline that is linking those that can help with those that need it. We established a drought hotline a while back and uh, it's been met with great response and we are so grateful to the people, the few around the state who actually have hay, but it's also those that uh, are in surrounding states that have been able to uh, provide more information about what they have available. The other thing that we incorporated into our drought hotline is uh, hay haulers, those that have the ability to transport. Most ranchers know someone that can move their cattle, but they don't know. A link has been shared through our social media with not only the phone number, but the website if you can help. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And 55% of rural Nebraskans say their financial situation is very dependent on the agriculture industry. That's according to Nebraska Rural Poll. More can be found by visiting ruralradio.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Dean, we'll start with corn today. It's a little bit lower, uh, but did you say something about the December corn contract filling a gap? Well, it tried to overnight, so we had the gap uh, on Monday when we kind of broke away there. But it wasn't able to do it. We left still about a quarter of a cent gap, so, you know, from a technical standpoint, you're still trading in this gap. We've had some nice resilience. Even though we're trading a little bit lower on the day, we're trading towards the top end of our range. And uh, it seems like uh, corn still has enough uncertainty out there with the heat in the west and, uh, you know, some variability throughout the corn belt that it's not ready to throw in the towel, even though uh, the September contract relative to December has continued to be under pressure with, uh, I think, continued um, old crop pricing going on. Ethanol production announced this morning, favorable or not? Yeah, so uh, the weekly EIA report came out uh, and saw really a drawdown in all of energies uh, from a stock standpoint. I mean, we still have a lot of energy, but we did see a nice drawdown, and ethanol saw a drawdown in its supplies as well, and production is holding in there. So, you know, ultimately we're having a great year as far as uh, ethanol production, which is helping uh, use up some of these supplies. Where do we go from here now when it comes to soybeans? Because we have st- seen a little bit of a rebound today. Yeah, it's been a tremendous, really this past week, a tremendous rebound in, in soybeans. It's brought us right back to the underside of some resistance from our trading range uh, back this past winter. And so, you know, uh, there's plenty of supply in South America ready to meet the market. But I think the, uh, the lower dollar the uncertainty over what is August weather in the U.S. going to look like, it begins to overshadow the actual acreage side of the equation as we focus on, um, you know, the yield side. And, uh, you know, it's hard to be short soybeans for a long time, and you've got the funds that have been caught uh, coming into summer with a pretty big short position in soybeans. We're talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Now let's move on to the wheat picture, and is this just pretty much a correction from this big vertical move upward? Yeah, that's a million-dollar question. Uh, you still have an open gap on wheat uh, as well in the in the wheat complex, and you know when you look at just the quote of what's what's going on in wheat price, it's it's kind of startling to say, "Wow, wheat's down 20," or "Minneapolis wheat is down 36." 
But with, then when you go and look at the chart and what we've done in those markets, it, it really doesn't look like that big of a day. Yesterday we had a 94 cent range in Minneapolis, and um, you know the, what didn't even stand out really on the chart. But it is getting toppy. It is getting violent. You expect that, and the markets just need a breather. And uh, longer term, Minneapolis is going to have to sort out some rationing, and we probably aren't there yet. But we probably you know see a pullback and some sloppy trade in the near term. So by rationing, you mean the most serious buyers are going to pay up for that high-protein wheat? Yeah, you, they're going to have to figure out who really wants it. And, uh, you know, you've got a small market like that that's uh, very critical in the milling industry. Uh, you know, that's, um, that, that takes that, – it's harder to find the substitutes uh, for the millers. And so that might take more uh, on the rationing side because of supply. Thanks for the information. Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. Go to waterstreet.org or call Water Street Solutions and visit with them more. 866-249-2528. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the World Radio Network, and it's time to check sports now with Scott Foster. Thanks, Dirk. Red Sox ace Chris Sale makes his final appearance before the All-Star Game, putting him in line to potentially start for the American League next Tuesday in Miami. Sale, 11-3 with a 2.61 earned run average, enters a game against Tampa Bay this evening with double-digit strikeouts in three of his past four outings, including seven scoreless innings with 11 strikeouts against Toronto last Saturday. Fan voting online for the final spot on each All-Star roster ends today at 3 o'clock Central Time, and the two winners will be announced a few hours later on the MLB Network. As of Wednesday afternoon, Kansas City Royals third baseman Mike Moustakis was leading the American League balloting. Los Angeles Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner was at the front of the National League field. One of the surprises of the season as we approach the All-Star break in baseball is the 500 play of the defending world champion Chicago Cubs. Tampa Bay lost last night to the Cubs 7-3. to The Rays' third baseman Evan Longoria said he thinks the Cubs will be just fine. They're going to be okay. You know, they got uh, they got good players, reigning MVP, Rizzo's a stud. I mean, they got plenty of offense. And I think it's just one of those things where, you know, they just, uh, they've, they've been fortunate enough to be able to hover and not play their best baseball and, and be right in the thick of things in the division. The Cubs also got some help by recalling outfielder Kyle Schwarber today from AAA Iowa. David Ferrer has reached Wimbledon's third round for the first time since 2013 when his opponent Steve Darsis stopped because of a back injury while trailing 3 to nothing. Darsis is the eighth man to retire during a match this week. Darsis, a Belgian ranked 61st, is best known for beating Rafael Nadal in the first round at Wimbledon in 2013. Bernard Tomic of Australia has been fined $15,000 at Wimbledon for unsportsmanlike conduct. At a news conference two days ago, Tomich said he felt a little bored out there during his match and said he just couldn't find any motivation to compete. Daniel Medvedev of Russia was also given a fine, three fines actually, totaling $14,500 after throwing a handful of coins in the direction of the chair umpire after a second round loss on Wednesday. Andy Murray won yesterday, and fellow Brit Johanna Conta advanced. Murray says there is a prospect of double British champions at the All England Club this year. 
Joe's um, played extremely well the last last 18 months. Um, she's certainly good enough to, you know, to, to win the tournament here. She got through a great match today. You know, and I believe that, that I can I can have a good run here. I can win. That's a look at sports. More coming up on Midday at the Rural Radio Network. I'm Scott Foster. There's a slight chance of showers tonight in central Nebraska. Otherwise, lows across the state generally in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. U.S. Geological Survey geophysicist Robert Sanders says western Montana had a 5.8 magnitude earthquake just after midnight. This is the largest earthquake to strike this area of the country in the past 20 years or so. Um, The largest quake in history is a magnitude 7.2 from August of 1959. So this is this is a rare event in this part of the country. Authorities say power has been restored to Lincoln, Montana, after an outage caused by the earthquake. The Lewis and Clark County Sheriff's Office says there were no reports of injuries or damage. Six Nebraska lawmakers are asking the state's Secretary of State to reject a request for voter information from President Donald Trump's voting commission. The senators voiced concerns about the commission's request in an open letter to Secretary of State John Gale. The commission has asked every state for voter information, including names, party registrations, voting histories, and the last four digits of every voter's Social Security number, if available. It was formed to investigate allegations of voter fraud in the 2016 elections, but critics say it's looking for ways to suppress the vote and that the requests are an invasion of privacy. The letter was signed by Senators Kate Berfeld, Matt Hansen, and Anna Wishart of Lincoln, and Senators Sarah Howard and John McAllister of Omaha. The AAA Glidden Tour, the largest and longest recurring annual antique automobile tour, will be traveling the scenic area roads through Hastings, Grand Island, and surrounding communities this September. The owners of about 150 antique vehicles produced before 1942 will travel to Hastings from throughout the United States to recreate a historic automobile touring event of the early 1900s. Then, throughout the week-long event, thousands of local motorists will have a rare opportunity to view those automobiles as they travel area roads on local tours, with some drivers and passengers dressed in vintage touring outfits. A teacher from northwest Kansas says he'll run for the Democratic nomination for Kansas' congressional seat, currently held by Republican Representative Kevin Yoder. Tom Neerman, a 49-year-old teacher from Prairie Village, announced his candidacy for the 3rd District seat held by Yoder since 2011. Neerman was raised in Wichita and taught in the public schools there and in Lawrence. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Yesterday, the EPA signed a proposed rule setting the minimum amount of renewable fuels that must be supplied in the market for calendar year 2018 under the Renewable Fuel Standard Program. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Ann Steckel. She is a Vice President of Federal Affairs with the National Biodiesel Board. And why don't you talk to us a little bit about these renewable volume obligations, the RVOs that are included in this, for the RFS when it comes to biodiesel? 
Well, thanks for having me, Jesse. I always appreciate the opportunity. So we heard that EPA um, released the volumes for the RFS, which included the advanced biofuel volume of 4.24 billion gallons for advanced and then 2.1 billion gallons for biomass-based diesel for 2018. Um, We're disappointed in the volumes that the EPA released and thinks that it's a real missed opportunity for them to continue to diversify uh, the diesel pool as well as grow advanced biofuels such as biodiesel. And so we're going to work very closely with the EPA in the next few months to get those volumes to grow. It seems to be when it does come to biodiesel in the RFS, that portion of it at least, it looks like numbers had been ticking upward and increasing. Why might we see a decrease now? Is that administration or what factors might that be from your perspective? Well, the administration has signaled that they want to help support the domestic industry uh, and support domestic jobs, which we certainly appreciate. And so we are really encouraging them as a way to support our domestic industry. They need to grow these volumes for advanced biofuels and biomass-based diesel. Um, We think that if they are concerned about imports like we are, the way to address imports is to address it separately through the anti-dumping and countervailing duty suit that the National Biodiesel Board has filed. And so um, the RFS really isn't the way to address imports. Uh, If you care about imports, you can deal with that through the anti-dumping and countervailing duty suit we have. So we're again uh, talking to them and very encouraged that the volumes will increase. We have this proposed number for the RVOs when it comes to the renewable fuel standard for 2018. Can you talk to us a little bit on where we currently sit as a nation when it does come to production of biodiesel and where we could be producing and how that affects having a higher or lower number with the renewable fuel standard? You know, the biodiesel industry is only running at about 65% capacity, which means we have a lot of unutilized potential to grow our industry, which is why these volumes in the RFS really need to continue to grow. It will allow us to support domestic jobs all across the country, and we think that that's a message that will really resonate with the Trump administration. We've been talking with Ann Steckel of the National Biodiesel Board and discussing the renewable volume obligations that were just proposed yesterday by the EPA for the renewable fuel standard. And you mentioned this case, this suit that the National Biodiesel Board is involved in when it comes to imports of biodiesel. Can you give us an update on that? Well, the NBB has filed an anti-dumping and countervailing duty trade case, and that is currently working its way through the Department of Commerce and the International Trade Commission. We continue to feel very confident that we have a strong case, and we think that when the ultimate decision is made sometime next year, um, that the government will rule in favor of the domestic industry and rule that there has been a lot of dumped and subsidized biodiesel that has come in from both Argentina and Indonesia. And can you tell us why this case is important and why you guys sought to take this avenue? Well, it's incredibly important to address these imports that have been coming in because it's essentially blocking out the growth of our domestic industry. Um, These unfairly subsidized and dumped products have been coming in from Argentina and Indonesia, and they're subsidized in their home country, and then they come to the United States and receive more subsidies. And so we're simply just asking for a level playing field. We 
are fine with imports coming in, but we don't think that they should come in at unfairly subsidized and dumped rates. And so uh, we are very confident in our case, and we will continue to work with this administration as we work our way through the rulemaking process on that. Whether it's this anti-dumping case that the National Biodiesel Board is participating in or when it comes to the RFS, what are going to be the next steps for you and the organization? So we have a few months before the rule will be finalized for the RFS volumes. It will be finalized by November 30th or earlier. And so we're going to take the opportunity to uh, testify. They will likely have a public hearing. EPA will have a public hearing. And the National Biodiesel Board and biodiesel supporters will testify on behalf of the domestic industry and talk about the need uh, to grow our domestic industry through these increased volumes. And so we're going to be working very hard in the next couple of months. We'll be working with our sponsors and our uh, friends on Capitol Hill who will continue to support our domestic industry and make the case directly to EPA. why those volumes should increase. We've been talking with Ann Stackle. She is the Vice President of Federal Affairs with the National Biodiesel Board discussing EPA releasing yesterday the newest renewable volume obligations for 2018 under the Renewable Fuel Standard Program. And when it comes to corn ethanol, EPA has set it at 15 billion gallons. And again, this is a proposed number. The final number is set to be given on November 30th. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, and this turnaround in the cattle futures, Joe. Yeah, nice little rally today. Uh, uh, started out lower, uh, uh, but uh, we started trading some cattle at uh, 16, 116, 117, and maybe even at 118 uh, thrown in there. And... Uh, that uh, sparked uh, a pretty good uh, reversal here and a nice little rally. So we had some triple-digit gains in the uh, live cattle and obviously uh, pretty good uh, in the uh, feeder cattle uh, thanks to uh, the grain markets uh, being uh, a little bit softer. So uh, all in all, uh, a nice, uh, let's call it turnaround uh, Thursday since we didn't have a Tuesday this week. Uh, but it was the second day of trading after a uh, 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 nice, uh, nice holiday. So uh, very positive. Now, not so positive over in the hogs. We're going to finish lower in the first four months of uh, uh, the hogs. Uh, cash seemed to be waffling just a bit. The cutouts were a little bit higher, uh, but uh, we uh, ended up with uh, some selling. So we go back to a discount uh, to the uh, index. Uh, today uh, in uh, the expectation that the uh, index might uh, fall back a little bit. But uh, all in all, uh, pretty good day in the uh, cattle and uh, uh, not so much uh, in the hogs. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Now let's look at today's, I should say this week's cattle slaughter, Estimated at 349,000. Compare that with the holiday shortened week a year ago, 19,000 more. Hog slaughter at 1,236,060,000 less than a year ago. I'm Dewey Nelson. Jerry Catlett is Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of the Bruning State Bank. He is also past chairman of the Nebraska Bankers Association. I recently sat down with Jerry and asked him about that experience. 
Well, it was a very fulfilling experience, very rewarding, met a lot of nice people, had a lot of great experience with bankers uh, across the state and got to meet some bankers from across the country and interact and find out what some of their challenges uh, were across the country and and, uh, generally just enjoyed it a great deal. Was there a lot of regulatory work that you had to do while you were were the chairman? Yes. in, in the course of my chairman-elect and chairman, we made six trips to Washington, D.C. Uh, to visit with members of Congress and attend a couple of committee hearings to talk about banking issues. And it's ongoing to this day, and we're hoping with the new administration that we may see some regulatory relief not only for uh, community banks but also for agriculture because we know how it stifles uh, economic development. We've seen uh, some of the regulatory changes already in uh, on the agriculture side, the environmental side, and EPA, things like that. Have there been some changes in the banking industry? Only in discussion. We have not seen any relaxing yet. We have heard... Um, that uh, some of the regulatory bodies is, is they're getting ready to make new appointments for those agency heads that uh, the saying we kept hearing is that personnel will become policy. But as far as seeing any changes yet, uh, as far as statutes or anything like that, we have not seen it yet. Sometimes Washington works kind of slow. What about the Bruning area? You're down here, president of the Bruning State Bank. Uh, what's, what's it like, the economy, farm economy right now? Well, as as many people have heard us talk before, it's a struggle. I would not say we're in dire straits by any means, but there's some stress out here uh, given what low commodity prices we've seen and and the prospects for prices. But um, what was really kind of interesting as we look back is our 2017 renewals compared to 2016 as we went through the renewal season actually went a little bit better than the year before. Part of that might have been a little bit with yield, but I think part of it was I think people are really paying attention and cut back on expenses, taking advantage of marketing opportunities when they were presented, and, and maybe just doing a better job of managing. Those marketing opportunities, sometimes they only last about five minutes, it seems like. So you really have to stay on top of it. And we really encourage uh, producers to pick somebody they're comfortable with that is in that line of business to help take the emotion out of of making those marketing decisions and have somebody watching that market because we all understand we get busy doing what we're supposed to do day-to-day, running our farms or running our banks and may not pay attention to those markets, but there's professionals out there and are very good at what they do can certainly help uh, producers and others uh, take advantage when those opportunities do arise. One more question about the Nebraska Bankers Association. Do you recommend that uh, young bankers or any banker in the area that looks at the organization to try to get involved? Oh, certainly we do, and we provide lots of opportunities through the Nebraska Bankers Association for people in the industry. Uh, For the last uh, 12 years, we've had a University of Nebraska-Lincoln Ag Econ intern and scholarship program that's been very successful, and about 65% of the students that go through that stay in banking, which is a good thing for banking to get young people involved. And a couple of years ago, uh, the Nebraska bankers started a Young Bankers of Nebraska program where we have an annual convention and try to get people that are 35 years uh, of age or less involved in banking, kind of give them a better overview and what, what great opportunities there are for people in the banking industry. That's Jerry Catlett of the Bruning State Bank, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, it was maybe after a vertical move in these wheat futures, it was time for a correction today? Yeah, I think that's 
I don't know. I'm looking to try to look at the silver lining of it. We did hold the uh, low from yesterday morning, which is nice. There's a nice price gap there at 535 on the Chicago. Call it about 540 on the Kansas City contract. Um, I, you know, I feel like we're going to set a low, though. I, I would not be that bearish on weed. I don't think we've hit any levels, at least in the Minneapolis, that are, are going to get behaviors to change, and that's really what we need. We need to have folks kicking out uh, demand that they need here in the short term for, for price, and uh, I think that will happen, but we don't need high prices for that. So just think it's a position that got really long on one side, and you're seeing that boat kind of filled the other way now, and I think eventually it'll turn around. All right, speaking of turnaround, what, what about soybeans? Beans are in, in a good position here. Did get above $10 on that November contract. I think they're in position to run. Uh, it's just about what this weather is going to do to the uh, the good to excellent ratings here. Beans are uh, a much more, I say, short contract. Corn, I think, has seen some fun buying here in the last couple of weeks, whereas beans, I think we've just seen some squaring. We're basically back to unchanged. So while the supply-demand picture really isn't that great for soybeans, I think the the upside is, is better than any, any market out there. And if we would have... Uh, Hot, dry weather take its toll. I think beans are, you know, you make the case they're a dollar too cheap. And you mentioned $10. What about December corn? Well, these 420 would be a nice target for me. I, I think at this point, you know, it's always this difficult time of the year where it's like you're fighting the USDA for conditions. And, you know, you go online or any of the, the ag forums that are out there and you get guys talking about yield estimates in the high 150s. I think the USDA will start us out in the, in the high 160s, and I think the trade is going to, going to respect that, at least early. Now, we get into late July and we haven't had any rain and the temperatures are what they are out there. I think you could see the market just say, forget the USDA data, and we'll, we'll rally it on our own. But for now, I still think, uh, you know, I'd be, a, I'd be a seller on this market probably somewhere in the 420 level. Uh, maybe puts December 18 around the 4, 440, 450. I think that's a good spot to get some hedges on for next year. Well, we say we could get a average trend yield of 167. That may be well, not bullish, but somewhat friendly. Yeah, friendly. I mean, I think it's enough to keep us off the lows from a year ago. And just a reminder, we were at 412 when September delivery came around for that contract a year ago. So, you know, 410, 420, I mean, you're still pricing substantial increase. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. That's the place, danielsagmarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.